As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Let's take a moment to breathe. Deep inhale. Extend your spine. Remain focused on what you're doing. If safe to do so, exhale slowly, leaning to one side. Inhale back to center. If safe to do so, exhale slowly to the opposite side. Find mental health resources at loveyourmindtoday.org. This message is brought to you by the Huntsman Mental Health Institute and the Ed Council. Hey, it's Zuko and Kayla from The Wake Up Call. Enjoy your podcast, and when you're done, don't forget about us. We have a radio show. We try to bring a smile to your face every morning. We also talk to some of the hottest country stars of today, and we like to share some good news with That's What I Like. Because Lord knows that's hard to find. When you're done podcasting your podcast, listen to us at 92.3 WCOL. Set your preset on your radio right now, and don't forget you can listen to us online on the iHeartRadio app. Today is Friday, February 9th, 2024, coming up on Roland Martin Unfiltered, streaming live on the Black Star Network. Tennessee lawmakers, they want to dismantle the Board of Trustees at Tennessee State. Two Democrats oppose the measure out of committee. We'll talk to one of them about why white Republicans are doing all they can to frankly destroy Tennessee State. Blackwater founder Eric Prince says... The country's immigrants are fleeing, well, first of all, he says that African immigrants are fleeing from lack of proper governance and should be colonized. Yes, this white man said African countries should be colonized to bring law in order. Vice President Kamala Harris issues a stern defense of President Joe Biden and says the Department of Justice's special counsel's report is politically motivated. Weeks after Louisiana lawmakers agreed on a new congressional maps, a federal judge ruled that their state maps are also unconstitutional and must be redrawn. And Big Pharma tried to explain why U.S. drug prices are significantly higher than those of countries around the world. Well, senators on Capitol Hill, Democrats weren't having any of that. I also, though, I'm going to break down how these pharmaceutical companies are spending huge amounts of money on advertising, yet black-owned media is getting very little of those dollars. And the Washington Post did an investigation to the NFL's concussion settlement and found they are still denying players dementia claims. We'll talk to former NFL player Ricky Ray and Roxanne Gordon, whose husband, Eamon Gordon, was diagnosed with traumatic brain injury uh, more than a decade ago. It's time to bring the funk on Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Shirt Network. Let's go. He's got it. Whatever the miss, he's on it. Whatever it is, he's got the scoop, the fact, the fine. And when it breaks, he's right on time. And it's rolling. Best believe he's knowing. Putting it down from sports to news to politics. With entertainment just for kicks, he's rolling. Yeah. 
Tennessee Senate Government Operations Committee wants to remove and replace all of the Board of Trustees at Tennessee State University. The vote fell along party lines with all of the Republicans on the committee voting in favor okay, of so vacating and, recon and reconstituting the board and the two Democrats were opposing. Now, one of those who voted against uh, the measure joins us now. Tennessee State Senator Charlene Oliver joins us from Nashville. Senator Oliver, glad to have you here. So we talked about this on yesterday, and here's what is strange to me, and I saw a news conference where you and others were talking. So here they are trying, here they are, <laughs> um, they ordered, the control did a report, they ordered an audit. How do you get rid of the people before the audit comes back so you know what the audit says. That's uh, the million-dollar question, Roland. Um, that's something that I uh, urged my colleagues on the committee to do, uh, to delay the vote until the forensic audit comes back. Um, but what I suspect is they may not find anything in the audit that uh, points to any malfeasance or nefarious activities on behalf of TSU. <laughs> right. So, I mean, I mean, I just, I'm like, I'm, I'm trying to understand. Again, I'm looking at this here. And it's not, first of all, the T-issue had, had has, has had an independent board for what, just seven years? Right. Under the FOCUS Act, um, it gave um, TSU the authority to have its own independent governing board outside of the Tennessee Board of Regents. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's, that, that is the action of the legislature. But what we're also seeing is the inaction of the legislature and to hold up its end of the bargain. We're here because of historical underfunding. Uh, our, my Republican colleagues only want to see one side of the coin, and that's the, quote, mismanagement of funds uh, and the disarray of operations that Tennessee State University finds itself under. But they don't want to own up to the fact that we, as the legislature, have not done our part to fully fund Tennessee State University right. to the to the equitable level of our other land-grant institution in this state, which is a predominantly white institution. Well, what, what I don't understand is a report was done that showed that they're owed $500 million. How the hell can you complain about dormitories and other problems when you haven't given enough money? Correct, correct. And the $544 million is just one bucket of money. We also have uh, other state appropriations that amounts to over $2.1 billion, dating back 30 years, that the federal government said we, they, we haven't given them. I've looked in the budget books in the law library. TSU is not named in the budget going back years, in the 50s. So, yes, we are, this is what we're dealing with. Um, and we know that they're trying to move the goalposts because they have this money hanging out here and they're trying to find every reason, in addition to our comptroller, a reason not to hand over the money that is owed. I, I, it just, it just it boggles the mind. And, you know, what do you think is really at play here? Well, you got to, again, understand the larger context. We are in Nashville, Tennessee. Nashville is booming. It's a growing city. And there is commerce here. Nashville is the economic engine of the, of the state. We bring in the most revenue. And so TSU positionally uh, sits in a, in a place in North Nashville that 
connects our larger uh, suburban area to our downtown area. And so that area of town has a lot of uh, developing areas that developers have their eyes on. And as a land-grant institution, we have land over there. Again, to have people on that board that is going to be cronies for the legislature and the governor um, is the last frontier for them to try to have a land grab and a power grab with the money. I, I remember we, we showed one of the hearings where you had a, had a, a committee <clears throat> member that was complaining about the explosion of growth of Tennessee State, demanding, you know, why are these students going here and not the other schools? It seemed that they are jealous of uh, uh, the fact that uh, these black students want to go to Tennessee State and not these other state schools in Tennessee. Right. When you take in consideration that extremist Republicans are coming after elite institutions because of affirmative action, where do you think those students are going to want to go? They're, wanna gonna, they're going to want to come back home to their HBC institutions, and so they can have our uh, flagship HBCU recruiting more people than University of Tennessee and other institutions in the state. So, yes, that's exactly right of what they don't want to happen. My pal Michael Inhotep hosts the African History Network show our Detroit Matt Manning, civil rights attorney out of Corpus Christi, Kelly Bethea, communications strategist out of D.C. Uh, questions for you. Kelly, you first. Sure. So Maryland had a similar issue regarding um, HBCU discrepancies in funds versus the PWIs in the state. When it comes to uh, Tennessee State being a flagship school, can you expound upon exactly how much of a discrepancy there is between TSU and the other uh, PWIs in the state? Uh, yes. So, uh, currently, we are basing our funding off of enrollment. And so, when UT gets about $15,000 per student, TSU gets about $8,000 per student. So, there is a huge discrepancy when you think about enrollment. UT is a, a significantly larger institution. So, by, by default, they're going to get more money. But because of the 1890 Morrell Act, we are supposed to get a one-to-one -one match. So we are historically being, uh, there's a disparity year over year, and that number continues to grow. Michael? All right. Um, thanks for coming on and sharing this with us. Um, I know in February uh, of this year, I think um, the state of Tennessee allocated uh, $2 million for another in-depth uh, audit of uh, TSU. Um, how would you have liked better those funds to be allocated? And um, also, the, uh, another quick question I have is, what has been the response from alumni of TSU uh, to, to this attack? Yeah. Um, you know, the $2 million forensic audit is just another hurdle that's been put in place to try to find um, discrepancies in the administration and the board. Uh, of course, we could... We it's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at, like a B&B &B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824. Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights, speaking in public. The list of fears is endless. 
But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if that sound in the hall was actually a footstep, the real danger is in your hand, when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary, what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward, don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. It's the Breakfast Club, the world's most dangerous morning show. Hey! Angela E is kind of like the big sister that always pokes you in the forehead. That's not how it goes? That's not how anything goes. Yimby's really like a robot. One of the best DJs ever. Believe that. Charlamagne is the wild card. And I'm about to give somebody the credit they deserve for being stupid. I know, that's right. <laughs> what is wrong with you? <laughs> Listen to The Breakfast Club weekday mornings from 6 to 10 on 106.7 The Beat. Columbus is real hip-hop and R&B. Could have used $2 million to go straight into appropriations for TSU. We also have the $544 million that's still sitting out there. Of that money, a little over $250 million has been um, appropriated two years ago. So we're still waiting on the other half. So yes, that $2 million could have been coupled in with the other half instead of trying to spend our wills looking for problems. You know, the alumni, the students, uh, faculty, are all united in the sense of we see this for what it is. Um, our legislature has a pattern of attacking black leadership in this state. You saw it uh, s- several months ago with the Tennessee Three and uh, the two mm-hmm. Justins expelled. So this is not new. And so we, we see this for what it is. And they're holding the line to say we have to fight back on this. We can't, um, we can't continue to attack us on things that you're not— treating the other institutions fairly. They're they're treating us unfairly in comparison to the predominantly white institutions in the state. So, yeah, the alumni want to see the the funding uh, come along with, uh, you know, some structure with the university. Matt, Matt. All right. Thanks, State Senator. Matt. Thank you, Senator. My, my question is kind of a logical extension of Michael's. And the question is, I know in 2017, six of the schools were broken off into their own individual local boards. So like TSU has its board. What has been the level of scrutiny and audit on those other five schools? Because I'm interested in seeing how they're correlating TSU's alleged um, issues with the other schools that are now, you know, a part of their own independent governance. What's that interplay and level of scrutiny been for those other schools? I can't speak to that wholeheartedly, but I can tell you that um, the the level of scrutiny is not balanced. Um, you know, these issues are not new. University of Tennessee, uh, Knoxville, also has housing issues currently right now. They they've had housing issues for as long as we have, but they are not uh, giving uh, you know putting putting on a, been put under the microscope, if you will, um, to the level that Tennessee State University has. Uh, UT Southern has also had audits that have come back with uh, multiple findings. So again, we're we're asking the question of why is uh, Tennessee State University being put under such uh, scrutiny when uh, you're not holding the other, you know, universities to the same level that we are. <clears throat> All right. So um, when does the vote take place? Uh, obviously, this is Senate. Uh, has to be voted upon by the full Senate. Has the House taken uh, any action? 
So last uh, session, we did take, the House did take action. We extended the board for two years on the House side, but neither, none of these bills have made it to the floor. So what we're trying to do, or what I'm trying to do is um, negotiate with our governor and the senators that are behind this, this action to at least try to delay the vote and let's see about make, coming to a compromise to at least keep the institutional knowledge of the board of trustees and keep some, some board members on um, currently to stay on through the presidential search. So uh, that, this is not over. This is what I've been telling uh, the students. We're not out of the woods. There's a lot of negotiating to be had between now and April. Uh, last question for you. Where are the black civil rights groups? <coughs> do, are, do you, who is out there standing with you? Uh, is the state NAACP? Is the Urban League? Is, I mean, are, are you seeing uh, outside groups uh, rally to stand with Tennessee State? Yes, yes and no. Um, this kind of has been, up until now, sort of an isolated Tennessee State University problem. But I have been in talking with leadership to talk about how we can amplify this, not only just to the Nashville community, but also nationally, because we have alumni across the country. There is a Save TSU coalition that has been educating the local community. We brought attorney Ben Crump here um, to talk about the legal ramifications and to get folks riled up. We've held rallies. So there has been some community support. Uh, NAACP has helped events, uh, the Equity Alliance, my organization has been behind this. So there is community support, but absolutely, we, we need to be getting louder on this. All right, then. Senator Oliver, I certainly appreciate it. Thank you so very much. Keep up the fight. Thank you. Folks, got to go to a break. We'll be back on Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. Uh, got a lot more stuff we want to talk about, uh, including uh, the, this fool, Eric Prince. He literally, literally, y'all, is suggesting that it is time to recolonize Africa. Wait until I play for you what he had to say. Be sure to support us in what we do, folks. Join our Bring the Funk fan club. Your dollars make it possible to do all the work that we do. To join the Bring the Funk fan club, send your check and money order to P.O. Box 57196, Washington, D.C., 20037-0196. Cash app, dollar sign RM Unfiltered. PayPal, R. Martin Unfiltered. Venmo is RM Unfiltered. Zale, rolling at rollingsmartin.com. Rolling at rollingmartinunfiltered.com. Be sure to download the Black Sun Network app, Apple phone, Android phone, Apple TV, Android TV, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, Xbox One, Samsung Smart TV. We'll be right back. Next on The Black Table with me, Greg Carr. There's a lot of talk about the inevitability of another civil war in this country. But on our next show, we'll talk to a noted author and scholar who says we're actually in the middle of one right now. In fact, Steve Phillips says the first one that started back in 1861, well, it never ended. People carrying the Confederate flag, wearing sweatshirts saying MAGA Civil War, January 6, 2021, stormed the U.S. Capitol, hunted down the country's elected officials, built the gallows for the vice president of the United States, and, and to block the peaceful transfer of power in this country. On the next Black Table, here on the Black Star Network. Hatred on the streets, a horrific scene, a white nationalist rally that descended into deadly violence. White people are losing their damn minds. Some angry 
reproach from mob storms the U.S. Capitol. We're about to see the rise of what I call white minority resistance. We have seen white folks in this country who simply cannot tolerate black folks voting. I think what we're seeing is the inevitable result of violent denial. This is part of American history. Every time that people of color have made progress, whether real or symbolic, there has been what Carol Anderson at Emory University calls white rage as a backlash. This is the rise of the Proud Boys and the Boogaloo Boys. America, there's going to be more of this. Here's all the Proud Boys, guys. This country is getting increasingly racist in its behaviors and its attitudes because of the fear of white people. The fear that they're taking our jobs, they're taking our resources, they're taking our women. This is white fear. See what kind of trouble we can get into. It's the culture. Weekdays at three, only on the Black Star Network. Hello, we're the Critter Fixers. I'm Dr. Bernard Hodges. And I'm Dr. Terrence Ferguson. And you're tuned in to Roland Martin Unfiltered. about uh, the history, the history of white folks abusing the continent of Africa. We know about the Berlin Conference where literally they got together and split up Africa and said, well, who's going to take different parts? We know about King Leopold killing more, killing more people. Let me be very clear killing more people in the Congo than Hitler killed Jews in Europe. We can go on and on and on how the French, how the British, how the United States, all of these countries raped and pillaged the continent of Africa. Now we have the caucasity of Eric Prince, the founder of Blackwater, the largest private military company in the world. He actually said this in a... Let's take a moment to breathe. Deep inhale. Extend your spine. Remain focused on what you're doing. 
If safe to do so, exhale slowly, leaning to one side. Inhale back to center. If safe to do so, exhale slowly to the opposite side. Find mental health resources at loveyourmindtoday.org. This message is brought to you by the Huntsman Mental Health Institute and the Ed Council. Recent interview. All this, all this talk of illegal migration in Europe, in the United States, it ultimately comes down to a contest of what is governance. Who is governed, which countries are governed well, and if so many of these countries around the world are incapable of governing themselves, then, then it's time for us to just put to just to, to put the imperial hat back on to say, we're gonna govern those countries if you're incapable of governing yourselves, because enough is enough, we're done being invaded. Because our own national security risk is at stake. Exactly. National security interests are at stake. You can say that about pretty much all of Africa. They're incapable of governing themselves and benefiting their citizens because the governments there are all about looting and pillaging and lining their pockets and going shopping in Paris instead of actually right, making the country hold a on. better People on the land. left are going to watch this. They're going to say, wait a minute, Eric Prince is talking about being a colonialist again. Absolutely. Yes. Enough. Because I, I, if you go to these countries and you see how they suffer under absolutely corrupt, made-up governments that are just criminal syndicates, the people of Africa, the people of Latin America, a lot of them deserve better. Now, some countries are really getting it together. Look at what El Salvador did. Bukele, murder capital of, 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 of Latin America, he said, no more. Now, El Salvador is safer than Prince William County. And he took just all south the, of Washington, D.C. He put all, all the, the MS-13 guys in prison. in prison. Ecuador, about to do the same thing. New president there. The previous presidential candidate had been assassinated. But um, uh, new guy gets elected. He announces he's contracted with the same building contractor that they built the prisons in El Salvador, going to build them in Ecuador. The prisoners there, the, the cartels revolt and try to take over the capital uh, in Ecuador a couple weeks ago. So it's not all bad. There's some great governance. I, I, Argentina. I, I like at Argentina. God bless Mille. I mean, yes. So, but the countries that cannot fix themselves, particularly in Africa, the worst. It's time to think about other governance options because they are clearly not capable of self-government. Ah, the countries in Africa that cannot fix themselves. See, that, that's quite interesting uh, that you would hear Eric Prince say those things because, and y'all do know that his sister is Betsy DeVos, who served as the education secretary under Donald Trump. Uh, this shows that she's an idiot and her brother's an idiot because they don't know anything about American history. In fact, I'm going to use one particular country. Y'all heard me just mention the Congo. There's a book. Great conversation. Go to the Black Table discussion with Dr. Greg Carr on the Black Star Network. And he had a, a phenomenal conversation with Stuart Reed. Stuart Reed is the author of this book. This book is called The Lumumba Plot, The Secret History of the CIA in a Cold War Assassination. Stuart Reed details in this book that Lumumba came to the United States uh, and during one of his visits after he became prime minister. And in a particular meeting, President Dwight Eisenhower gave the order to assassinate Lumumba, to take him out. 
It is documented by some that this was the first time in American history where a president gave a direct order to take out a foreign leader. I don't believe that's the case, though. Uh, so here they are. They get their independence from Belgium. Two months in, the CIA and others work to kill Lumumba. Here you murder, you align with his uh, opponents, you kill him, the country goes into chaos, leads to Mobutu becoming a dictator. Let me say it again. We helped put a dictator in office, and that country is still trying to gain its footing since it got its independence. What would the Congo look like today? had the United States not aligned with others to take out Patrice Lumumba in the Congo. Hmm. Let's go on to some other countries. Uh, folks in the control room, uh, sit, pull up uh, a book called Overthrow. Folks, the author is Stephen Kinzer. And I'll see if I can pull up myself. Uh, Stephen Kinzer, uh, longtime New York Times writer. He wrote a particular book that all of you need to read, uh, and it's called Overthrow. Uh, the book details, it details the 13 examples where the United States directly overthrew other governments. Oh, y'all don't hear me. Y'all don't hear me. 13 different times the United States actually overthrew other governments. Huh. Yeah. What I'm saying is absolutely correct. So here we are talking, here's Eric Prince talking about these other countries uh, and, and how they now have all of these problems and uh, we must take uh, these countries over uh, in order uh, to, to, to get them under control because these people can't govern themselves. Yet we, the United States, Played a role in making this happen. This is the book right here, Overthrow, America's Century of Regime Change from Hawaii to Iraq. We can detail, we can detail what took place in Libya. We can talk about what happened in Guatemala. Are y'all aware, Kenza writes it in his book, that the Panama Canal originally was not supposed to go through Panama. That was supposed to go through another country. But the United States told that country, oh, in order for you to finance the canal, you have got to use American banks. The country said, no, nah, we're good. We got a better deal with European banks. So the United States, aligned with the PR company, created this entire story that was alive, that there was a particular volcano in this country that had, had, hadn't erupted in centuries, somehow could erupt and that will destroy the canal. That's how it was built in a canal. In fact, let me just go ahead and stay on Panama. Noriega was running drugs in Panama. Panama. Guess who payroll Noriega was on? The CIA's. Come on. Do y'all even know where the phrase Banana Republic comes from? 
The phrase banana republic comes from United States and other countries overthrowing governments because the plantation owners control the land. They control the country. So the phrase a banana republic comes from, again, the overthrow of governments, the overthrow of governments to aid economics. Let's not talk about Chile. Kinzer details that ITT, one of the first global companies, called the, called the CIA and said, hey, um, we'll pay for y'all to overthrow Chile. They said, hold up, hold up now, we ain't, we ain't really down for that yet. So they told ITT, thanks, but no thanks. They then came back a couple of years later when Allende became the president. Allende said, wait, wait a minute. Why, why are we sitting here, uh, all these other companies controlling telecommunications, controlling all of our economics? Allende says, we're going to nationalize this. America, oh, oh, hell no. Whoa, whoa, hold up. You, you, you talking about <clears throat> you going to nationalize all this stuff? That means these American companies not going to keep making all this money? No, hell no. Guess what we did? Call ITT. We overthrow Chile. Got rid of Allende. Put in Pinochet, who killed millions of folks. America did that. I'm sorry. Why were the Iranians so pissed off at us in 1979? The story that we've all been told, the Iranians, come, uh, the Ayatollah, Khomeini, they, the crazy rabbit Muslims, they took over the country, wanted to destroy our freedoms. Mm -mm. See, you can't talk about 1979 and the hostage crisis if you skip over 1953, 26 years earlier. And now you might say, well, Roland, well, okay, well, what happened 26 years earlier? Well, there was a democratically elected prime minister his name was Mossadegh. Mossadegh said, I don't understand. How is all of this oil ours? And we only get like 5 to 7% of the money. Why is uh, British Anglo-Iranian oil now known as BP, how are they taking all the money? So most of the day said, no, we keeping our oil to rebuild our country. The British said, oh, hell no, no, you're not. Because y'all got to understand, 
the British economy had been taken. All of that Iranian oil was paying for the British economy. They said, no, you not. Oh, no, you not. But see, the British, y'all, the British wasn't trying to go as far as overthrowing the government in Iran. The United States went, we'll do it. We, we got y'all. So the United States began to distribute flyers in the country, pushing out misinformation in Iran against Mossadegh. Took out Mossadegh, put in a general. The general wouldn't do what America said. We then took the general out, and we then said, here's the Shah. So we put in the Shah of Iran, put the Shah of Iran in. Then we, our CIA, trained the Shah's thugs. So the Shah's thugs that were beating down on people all across the country, put them in place. Now do the math. If you were 18 years old in 1953, by the way, Iran loved America. Iran loved America. After this, Iran hated America. So you 18 years old in 1953. You 10 years old in 1953. Well, 26 years later, you 36. You 44. So the uprising in 79 can be traced back to 1953. Chavez, when he became president of Venezuela, oh, hell no, don't you dare nationalize the oil. Company called Citgo, mm -mm, you ain't doing that. Don't you do that. Y'all, we could run through a list of South American countries. I ain't even mentioned us wanting to take over Cuba. We can run through South American countries, Latin American countries. We can run through African countries. We can go through the Middle East, and we will show. Y'all heard in the thing, he said, America's national interests. We, the United States. See, this is the stuff they never wanted to teach us in school. One of the reasons why you have instability all over the country is because you had the United States, John Foster Dulles, Allen Dulles. Yeah, Dulles Airport, named after one of them. They were the ones, Secretary of State, running the CIA, and that was American foreign policy. Take your pick, Nicaragua, Guatemala, Panama, Venezuela, Mexico, on and on and on. So all of the countries that Eric Prince is now saying they can't run their country, it's because we, along with the French and the British, destabilized those countries, destabilized the leadership by taking the leadership out, paid for overthrows and coups in those countries, and now we're trying to say, I don't know how y'all don't know how to act. I don't know how y'all don't know how to run your own country when we the ones who actually created the very destabilization that we're talking about today. And last point. We then took the resources, 
or we put the clamps on the countries by using economics. Any of y'all read that book, The Diary of an Economic Hitman? How we sat here and saddled many of these countries after they got their freedom with enormous amounts of debt, took over their ports, took control of their treasury and their banks, and now saddled them with massive debt they can never repay. Country gets mad, inflation high, food prices high, gas prices high, wages low, creates dissension in the country, and now the people in the country are constantly fighting because of the economics, and we are the ones who actually made it happen. In this very short time, I've laid out to you what American foreign policy was for most of the 20th century. And here you have this thug, Eric Prince, who wants to blame the very people for their problems when he does not want to hold accountability for the real culprits of the instability. And that has been the West. Michael Ivotip. Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights, speaking in public. The list of fears is endless. But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if that sound in the hall was actually a footstep, the real danger is in your hand when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary, what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward, don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. You're on mute. I should there, be you on. there you go, there you go, you're on, you're on, go ahead. Okay, yeah, you laid out an extensive history dealing with the U.S. and uh, other foreign powers being involved in overthrowing governments of African nations, Latin American nations. Uh, Guatemala comes to mind, 1954, CIA overthrew the democratically elected president uh, to protect the um, uh, interests of the United uh, Fruit Company. Um, and they were afraid that the fruit company would lose land. Uh, you talked about uh, uh, the Congo. Patrice Lumumba, CIA 1961. Uh, we can look at Libya as well, uh, when you have the U.S., uh, France, and Great Britain, uh, when uh, President Barack Obama was in office. Uh, you had Muammar Gaddafi uh, assassinated, and then it caused instability, even though there were problems in Libya, but it got much worse. There were some good things in Libya as well. It got much worse uh, after he was assassinated. Um, you talked about the Berlin Conference, 1884-1885, and the, the country that probably got the most from the Berlin Conference was Great Britain. And a lot of this history came out when uh, Queen Elizabeth uh, II uh, died, and it, uh, it, it was talked about how much uh, land and how much wealth uh, Great Britain got because of, uh, of the Berlin Conference. So what we're looking at is uh, a history of colonialism, uh, instability. We can look at the conquering uh, by Spain of various countries, whether it's Cuba, whether it's Puerto Rico, uh, whether it's Argentina, et cetera, and then the continuation of this colonization. So Eric Prince is operating in the tradition of a long line of colonizers, going back to Christopher Columbus, okay, 
who colonized Hispaniola, where Haiti is, who colonized Puerto Rico and Honduras and Panama, Jamaica. A lot of these places where we like to go on vacations were, were conquered by Spain, and African slaves were taken in, and uh, plantations are set up, and European nations are enriched off the back of African people and, and uh, Latinos, et cetera. So, you know, this there should be more um, done to expose what he's talking about. And I guarantee you, if, if Trump gets in office, we, we want to make sure this doesn't happen if, if Biden's reelected, number one, number one. But two, if Trump gets in office, I guarantee you Trump is going to try to execute what Eric Prince is talking about. The, um, go to my iPad here. Uh, you see, it was called, um, Kelly, the scramble for Africa. Uh, yes. And it's where the European conference, again, again, the Berlin conference, 1884 to 1885, where they literally uh, split up the countries. In fact, people don't even realize Nigeria was never a country. <laughs> they, they literally created Nigeria. Uh, I'm going to pull up in a second uh, that particular history as well. Before I go to Kelly, I, I did an interview with uh, General Colin Powell, the late General Colin Powell. And I specifically asked him the question that speaks to this very issue. Play it. As what's happening in the Middle East, because I'm talking about leadership. Uh, we weren't alive when this country was founded and those difficult struggles. And it's bothering me that Americans don't understand that this is what happens in new democracies, where you have this struggle, this fight for leadership. And so your assessment of what's happening right now, I mean, isn't that really what's going on? They're trying to figure, they'll find their way. What's happening right now in the Middle East, and it's, it's sort of reflective of our own democracy. It wasn't easy. You don't just pick up a book and learn how to do democracy. You have to practice it. You have to exercise it. And so when some of these autocratic leaders left in Egypt and Tunisia, Libya and places like that, uh, there's no democracy just ready to spring up. You got to grow it. And you grow it by people believing in their country, by people respecting the new leadership, by different sections of the country coming together and not fight over the spoils. And above all, by creating institutions of democracy, how to vote, law corporate law so you can protect the economy, uh, civil rights that are protected, a free press, the end of corruption. Those are the seeds of democracy. So don't be shocked that we're having this kind of difficulty in the Arab Spring countries, because they have to learn how to be Democrats in small d. They have to learn how to govern themselves. And America has an important role to play in helping them learn. We can't do it for them. They don't want us to do it for them. But they want us to help. Just kind of let us figure it out. You be there to help us. We need your help. Mm. Kelly? Powell. Um, and he's absolutely right. But also, going back specifically to uh, Eric Prince's comments, which alluded to the notion, the incorrect notion that America is perfect, that if only America would step in and take over and you know, do what we do, everything will be okay. And I, I come back to this question, what are, are you trying to, to mimic over there? Because we are by no means perfect. In fact, the things that we have put onto other countries to do, being democracy, being voting rights, being civil rights, being human rights, we barely have that at home now. So how exactly are you to teach someone else 
when you don't even know how to apply it to your own government here correctly anyway and i'm not saying that we are as bad as you know other countries that are in the baby stages of building their own democracies but look around us right now as we are preparing for an election our voting rights have been gutted we have virtually or we are very close to virtually having no human rights as as women in regards to controlling our own bodies um, the list goes on. So it, it's not just the, the absurdity of the notion of America should just step in and recolonize. It's the hypocrisy that America is good enough to do that anyway. It is simple. Eric Prince wants to plunder and control these countries the same way previous white colonists did. I don't know if that was for me. That's, no, that's, yeah. that's for you. That's for you. That's for you. Okay, thank you. I, I didn't hear it. But yeah, yes, I said, I, Matt, first, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I first have to, to laud you, Roland, because I think that was a master class in history that's necessary for the context. And all I'll add is really kind of three things. First, this is not localized just to um, foreign policy. This is the exact playbook that we see in the domestic side when you have disinvestment of communities, you have plundering of communities, and then once a city or municipality determines that that community is now advantageous politically, which we've seen across the country, they go in and steal the land and they vilify the people who've been live, who are living there despite having underinvested and destabilized the community um, through disinvestment. So the first thing is that, I mean, that there are corollaries on the domestic end, which we see primarily in our black and brown communities across this country. But the second thing is, you know, there's a lot of subterfuge here, because not only is it paternalistic, right, and acting like these countries, one, don't have the, uh, the sovereignty and the autonomy to govern themselves, but the reality is there's a race. It's a land grab. I mean, we know that the Chinese are paying or buying one-fifth of sub-Saharan um, African exports and are investing in Africa incredibly as they are in Latin America. And I think the reality of it is some of it is a subterfuge to do exactly what you said, a perfect word, plunder, to go in and to try to find a way to get the, the reins over these governments and then take those natural resources <coughs> the way it's been done since time immemorial. And the third point I wanted to mention is I actually happen to be reading right now The Colonizer and the Colonized by Albert Mimi. And if you read this book, which is about um, the colonization of Tunisia and Algeria um, in the 1950s, he outlines exactly what the European powers did in terms of destabilization, and not only destabilization, the psychological elements that they used on those they were colonizing to try to make them aspire to assimilation and also hate themselves, to create that, um, that tension so that they can go in and take those resources and plunder. So... <laughs> That's all it is. It's a monetary thing. It's a land grab. And it's couched in this, we have to help them because they can't help themselves, despite the fact that the things they're allegedly unable to help themselves from are direct consequences of repeated and concerted efforts to destabilize and plunder. So we're seeing the byproduct of that and the recontinuation of that through the paternalism to act as though they can't govern themselves, despite having the sovereignty and autonomy to do so. You see, folks, this is why what we have to do 
uh, it's what I have called the education beyond the education. There's the formal education, there's the informal education. Uh, and so uh, I was pulling up here, and so uh, a, a phenomenal book of Stephen Kendrick, go to my iPad. Uh, I, I read this book here, it's called All the Shaw's Men, An American Coup and the Roots of Middle East Terror, an unbelievable book for you to begin to understand <coughs> what happened in Iran and why the middle folk, these countries in the Middle East feel the way they do about the United States today. Uh, this other book, boom, Bitter Fruit, the untold story of the American coup in Guatemala. Same thing. Uh, you see right here, uh, it says right here, Though the events in Bitter Fruit happened almost 28 years ago, there's an intriguing similarity to some of the phrase-making of the State Department in Central America today. It is a tale of dirty tricks, the manipulation of public opinion, the smearing of the precious few journalists who managed to dissent what was really going on, and a foreign policy that barred more from Doonesbury than diplomacy. It is a fast-paced and well-documented history, a thoughtful and compelling book. I, I, I'm telling, see, I, I just want y'all to understand that these things are real. We, we can't act like uh, these things, uh, you know, simply did not happen. Uh, I told you about the Dulles brothers. They controlled American foreign policy. Uh, they were the ones who led uh, the Bay of Pigs, and it was Kennedy who fired them. Uh, this book here is also a stunning one. The brothers, John Foster Dulles, Alan Dulles, and their secret world war. It details, again, John Foster Dulles was Secretary of State. His brother was Director of the Century Intelligence, where they literally were sitting here plotting and overthrowing numerous countries. All I'm trying to say, folks, is that when you listen to people like Eric Prince, he wants to be them. They want to dominate these countries. They want to control their resources. They want to control uh, their money. That's what's going on here, and we better understand and not just go, oh, that guy's talking crazy. No, it's not. Not when he has military contracts. I'm telling y'all, if you read this book and if you read uh, Overthrow, go back, to my, uh, go, go back to my iPad, Overthrow just blew me away. I'm telling y'all, you read this, you will begin to understand what happens today. The problem that we have in this country is that when we talk about today, we're not factoring in the last 50, 60, 70 years and more. We're not. So we're just like, oh, what's going on today? Nope. The reasons why many of these countries have instability and have unstable leadership my name is Ariel. I moved to the U.S. at 19. I spoke no English and I struggled finding job opportunities. Everything I have, I owe to the Adult Literacy Center and getting my high school diploma at age 22. It was an honor helping you achieve your greatness. Now you're helping others achieve theirs. It inspires me. When you graduate, they graduate. Find free and supportive adult education centers near you at finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. Because in many of these cases, the United States of America played a role in destabilizing these countries. You're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network.
for the last 15 or maybe 16 years, 18 years, I'll say, since I, when I moved to L.A., I hadn't had a break. I hadn't had a vacation. I had a week vacation here and there. Right. This year, after I got finished doing Queen Sugar and we wrapped it up, because I knew I had two TV shows coming on at the same time, mm-hmm. so I'm taking a break. So I've been on break for the first time, and I can afford it. Praise right. God. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. So I can afford it. I'm like, I can right. sit back and ain't got nothing to worry about, man. But this was the first time in almost in, in two decades wow. that I've actually had time to sit back wow. and, and, and smell the roses. in black culture. We're about covering these things that matter to us, uh, speaking to our issues and concerns. This is a genuine people-powered movement. There's a lot of stuff that we're not getting. You get it, and you spread the word. We wish to plead our own cause to long have others spoken for us. We cannot tell our own story if we can't pay for it. This is about uh, covering us. Invest in black-owned media. Your dollars matter. We don't have to keep asking them to cover our stuff. So please, support us in what we do, folks. We want to hit 2,000 people, $50 this month, raise $100,000. We're behind 100000 so we want to hit that. Y'all money makes this possible. Check some money orders. Go to P.O. Box 57196, Washington, D.C., 20037- 0196. The cash app is dollar sign RM Unfiltered. PayPal is R Martin Unfiltered. Venmo is RM Unfiltered. Zell is rolling at rollingsmartin.com. Hey, what's up? Geek to the reason place to be. Got Cake Touch at Mama's University, creator and executive producer of Fat Tuesdays, the air hip hop comedy. But right now, I'm rolling with Roland Martin. Unfiltered, uncut, unplugged, and undamn believable. Kamala Harris had some tough words for the Department of Justice Special Counsel's report on President Joe Biden's handling of classified documents. During today's community violence intervention, uh, leaders, uh, when they gathered at the White House, Kamala Harris did not hold back. I have been privileged and proud to serve as Vice President of the United States with Joe Biden as President of the United States. And what I saw of that report last night I believe is, as a former prosecutor, um, the comments that were made by that prosecutor, gratuitous, inaccurate, and inappropriate. October 7th, Israel experienced a horrific attack. And I will tell you, we got the calls, the president and myself, in the hours after that occurred. It was an intense moment for the Commander-in-Chief of the United States of America, and I was in almost every meeting with the President in the hours and days that followed. 
countless hours with the Secretary of Defense, the Secretary of State, the heads of our intelligence community, and the President was in front of and on top of it all, asking questions and requiring that America's military and intelligence community and diplomatic community would figure out and know how many people were dead, how many are Americans, how many hostages, is the situation stable? He was in front of it all, coordinating and directing leaders who are in charge of America's national security, not to mention our allies around the globe. For days, and up until now, months, so the way that the president's demeanor in that report was characterized could not be more wrong on the facts and clearly politically motivated, gratuitous. And so I will say that when it comes to the role and responsibility of a prosecutor in a situation like that, we should expect that there would be a higher level of integrity than what we saw. Now, folks, the report did not call for any charges against President Biden. Still, it noted that the president, quote, willfully retained and disclosed, unquote, classified documents after serving as former President Obama's vice president. Now, uh, <clears throat> this wasn't just the response, folks, of uh, Vice President Kamala Harris. I mean, you, you also had uh, the White House, White House counsel spokesman pushing back very hard. We're going to play that in a second. I want to go to Matt Manning first. Matt, what, what, what is stunning here, Matt, what's stunning here is the guy says, ain't nothing there. But then he, he purposely makes this comment knowing full well what it was going to lead to. Yeah, particularly because <clears throat> he could have easily said the evidence doesn't rise to the level that we think it's appropriate to seek an indictment and to, you know, put him to task in front of 12 people in the box without then characterizing him as a sweet or elderly old man who's going to appear sympathetic. I mean, I, I get the administration's point um, with that. That seems to me to be more kind of just a little jab that's unnecessary rather than saying we evaluated it. It's a fundamentally different uh, documents issue than it is with Mr. Trump. We don't think that the evidence supports, uh, you know, proof beyond a reasonable doubt. And as such, we're not going to charge him. I will say, and you didn't really ask me this, but I do want to say that to be completely fair, this is something I think the administration is struggling with outside of this report. Um, you know, I'm supporting the administration, but watching Mr. Biden, he's obviously old and has lost a step. And, you know, older people don't necessarily, are not necessarily incapable of doing the job. But with him and with some of the health concerns, I mean, I think this is really a, a viable question that voters can have. Um, and as much as we don't want to denigrate him, I mean, we have to be honest about his fitness being a central component of, you know, concerns about the office of the presidency, irrespective of who would succeed him. So I think they took, you know, some gratuitous uh, positions in the report in terms of what I've heard. And that's why the administration is pushing back so hard. 
But I think they're also pushing back so hard because it's evident that this is a concern with voters and that Mr. Biden has clearly lost a step and that is going to have some effect on the election. I don't know the extent to which it will have an effect, but it is a, a salient issue. And the reality is no matter how much they come out with statements, we've seen the videos where these things have happened. So um, it is a problem that they're already dealing with. And this is one that seems to make it worse. But, but here's the thing here. So, so when I hear that phrase, he's lost a step, a step, Kelly, it's interesting to me because there are numerous videos just Sunday. Speaker Mike Johnson, much younger dude, was on Meet the Press, and he got different world leaders' name mixed up. Donald Trump has gotten folks' name mixed up. If I'm evaluating President Joe Biden, I'm evaluating what he's done. Now, I get it. Folks want to say, oh, I, I'm watching him, and I think he's moving too slow. I think he talks too slow. I am grading him, what have you done? And I will say this right now, and I fundamentally believe it. If you actually compare side by side the accomplishments of President Obama in his first three years and President Biden in his first three years, Biden beats him. So my deal is, do I want a young, virile person who hasn't accomplished a lot, or do I want somebody who got stuff done? To me, that, that's the argument the White House should be actually making. Yeah. Yes, but I, I don't think we need to harp on this fact because at the end of the day, the fact of the matter is whether, you know, you want this to be the reality or not, this election is going to come down to two old white men. I do not think Nikki Haley's going to make it. It's going to be down between Biden and Trump, right? And if you are not going to make the argument of ageism and mental capacity and, and you know, uh, what is liveliness, so to speak, if you're not going to have that same standard for Trump, who, by the way, got COVID while he was in office, has a plethora of clips of not only him forgetting things, him standing 10 toes down on him, not forgetting things that he obviously did. You know, his cadence on speaking has psychologists befuddled as to why he has not been tested for other psycho psychological issues. You know, there are plenty of things that we can talk about Donald Trump regarding his mental capacity, regarding his physical prowess, regarding his capacity to be president of the United States strictly from a physical perspective. If we're not going to do that for him, and if we are going to only do this for Biden just because he's currently in office, or frankly, just because you really don't have much else on him outside of this, then we need to have a conversation regarding the hypocrisy on both sides of this issue, both Democrats and Republicans regarding this issue of who is capable of being in office. Michael, uh, Ian Sams, the spokesman for the White House Counsel's Office, uh, came out and forcefully defended the president today. This is what he said. This happened because he was so distracted by what was happening overseas or do you dispute that he had any 
memory issues during those hours of interviews? I, I dispute that the characterizations about his memory that were in the report are accurate because they're not. Um, and I think the president spoke very clearly about how he, his mind was on other things. I mean, he, he was dealing with a huge international crisis of great global consequence. And, you know, he was trying his best to, to answer questions in this interview because he wanted to be fully cooperative. So there were no memory lapses during? I think, you know, I think there's something important that people should remember about the way that sort of interviews like this happen. I, God forbid, you know, one of you guys ever have to get interviewed by a prosecutor, and, you know, I hope you don't. Uh, uh, you know, witnesses are told, as I mentioned by special counsel, to do the best they can to recall or remember things. And they're, they're not supposed to speculate. You know, they want facts. They want facts and evidence. And so, you know, I think probably in almost every uh, prosecutorial interview you can imagine that people have uh, said that they don't recall things because that's what they're instructed to do. So I think that's just important context to keep in mind. Does that mean that Michael, possible memory lapses well, happen? Again, you know, I, I'm seeing all these people go back and forth, whatever. That's great. I'm seeing, uh, I'm seeing all the networks, you know, uh, just, you know, blathering idiots on this. Here is what, again, if I'm the White House, I'm making it clear. What did we get done? Did we deliver for the mm -hmm. American people? That's the only measurement. If I'm them, that's what I'm focused on. Yeah, uh, Biden mentioned that quickly last night in his primetime uh, press conference. I think he should have mentioned some more uh, actual bills that were accomplished. $1.9 trillion America Rescue Plan saved the economy, opened the economy back up after COVID, got people back in schools, got shots in arms, got stimulus checks out, $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill, first infrastructure bill, significant infrastructure bill in 30 years, January 2023, uh, over 30,000 construction projects started across the country. We're removing lead pipes. We uh, are laying um, um, uh, high-speed internet, even in rural areas. So they, they need to talk about what's been accomplished and compare that to Republicans and Donald Trump. Compare that to Republicans in the House who can't pass a budget, who only passed 27 bills in 2023, this 118th Congress. Uh, but this, um, from uh, Robert Herr, who was appointed by uh, President Donald Trump in 2017. This was uh, an underhanded attempt, right, to give right-wing talking points also. So uh, the White House and Democratic allies of uh, Biden have to push back hard on this, but they should also push back with what has been accomplished and say, compare that to the alternative. Don't compare Biden to uh, perfection. Don't compare him to the almighty. Compare him to the alternative. And let me remind people, President Franklin Roosevelt, who navigated America through World War II, who served two full terms in pres as president, uh, three, I'm sorry, three full, full terms as president. Uh, he served as president from a wheelchair because fact, he had polio fact, and could not walk. In fact, hold that point. This is 1984, Reverend Jesse Lewis Jackson Sr. at the Democratic National Convention in San Francisco. Those who have AIDS tonight, you deserve our compassion. Even with age, you must not surrender yep. in your wheelchairs. I see you sitting here tonight in those wheelchairs. I've stayed with you. I've reached out to you across our nation. And don't you give up. I know it's tough sometimes. People look down on you. It took you a little more effort to get here tonight. And no one should look down on you, but sometimes mean people do. The only justification we have for looking down on someone is that we're going to stop and pick them up. But even in your wheelchairs, don't you give up. 
We cannot forget 50 years ago when our backs were against the wall, Roosevelt was in a wheelchair. I would rather have Roosevelt in a wheelchair than Reagan and Bush on the horse. Don't you surrender and don't you give up. Um, Biden campaign, Anita Dunn, uh, Jen O'Malley, all the rest of y'all. That's called checkmate. Go ahead, Michael. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. From, from Roosevelt, even though some of the policies didn't fully uh, help all African Americans, they did help some, but you Social Security Administration, 1935, Minimum Wage Act, uh, you have uh, the GI Bill, all different types of programs that saved, that grew the economy, brought us out of the Great Depression, starts in 1929 under President Herbert Hoover. And I'd rather have, uh, even though Biden's not perfect, OK, I would rather have a 100 year old Joe Biden that gets bills uh, passed, that gets things accomplished, than have a 50 year old Donald Trump. So you, you compare what's been accomplished to what Trump did and what Trump is going to do. Three government shutdowns in the first two years of the Trump administration. Yep. Go research that. Three government shutdowns. They can't govern. That's how I would respond. So, bottom line is here. What have you done for me lately? What have you gotten done? Hold tight one second, folks. We come back. We're going to talk Flint and water crisis. Ten years later, folks are still fighting for what's right. Also, uh, a federal judge tells Louisiana, uh, you need to make some new maps because y'all keep screwing over black people. And Big Pharma testified before Capitol Hill yesterday. Also, I got a couple of things to say about Big Pharma when it comes to advertising with black-owned media. Y'all do not want to miss this. You watch it, Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. Next on The Black Table with me, Greg Carr. There's a lot of talk about the inevitability of another civil war in this country. But on our next show, we'll talk to a noted author and scholar who says we're actually in the middle of one right now. In fact, Steve Phillips says the first one that started back in 1861 well, it never ended. People carrying the Confederate flag, wearing sweatshirts saying MAGA Civil War, January 6, 2021, stormed the U.S. Capitol, hunted down the country's elected officials, built a gallows for the vice president of the United States, and, and to block the peaceful transfer of power in this country. On the next Black Table, here on the Black Star Network. On the next Get Wealthy with me, Deborah Owens, America's Wealth Coach, the wealth gap has literally not changed in over 50 years, according to the Federal Reserve. On the next Get Wealthy, I'm excited to chat with Jim Castleberry, CEO of Known Holdings. They have created a platform, an ecosystem to bring resources to Blacks and people of color so they can scale their business. Even though we've had several examples of um, African-Americans and other people of color being able to be successful, we still aren't seeing the mass level of us being lifted up. That's right here on Get Wealthy, only on Black Star Network. I'm Faraji Muhammad, live from LA. And this is The Culture. The Culture is a two-way conversation. You and me, we talk about the stories, politics, the good, the bad, and the downright ugly. So join our community every day at 3 p.m. Eastern and let your voice be heard. Hey, 
We're all in this together. So let's talk about it and see what kind of trouble we can get into. It's the culture. Weekdays at three, only on the Black Star Network. Check the back seat. Check the back seat. All right, come here. Check the back seat. Gets in your head, right? Good. Because every year, dozens of children are forgotten in the backseat of a car by a parent or caregiver. All never thought it could happen to them. But with changes in routines, distractions, or a sleeping child, it can happen to anyone. Parked cars get hot fast and can be deadly. So get it in your head. Check the backseat. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. Carl Payne pretending to be Roland Martin. Holla! You ain't got to wear black and gold every damn place, okay? Ooh, I'm an alpha, yay. All right, you're 58 years old. It's over. And you are now watching... Roland Martin Unfiltered. Uncut, unplugged, and undamn believable. Talking about the uh, 10 year anniversary in April of the Flint water crisis uh, continues to be a problem. Flint Rising is a coalition of organizations and advocates that advocate for Flint residents most affected by the by this. The director is Nayira Sharif uh, joins us right now. Nayira, glad to have you here. So uh, give us a sense. Uh, again, we're, t- we're 10 years later in April. Uh, there have been lawsuits have been battles um, and and we still are hearing that Folks having problems. You hear they say they're going to replace pipes. Others say it hasn't actually happened. Is there a number of how many people are still impacted by bad pipes uh, in Flint? Yeah, well, with the lead service line replacement, there are about 1,200 homes that still need their pipes replaced. But I want to say, like, in the ways that matter, nothing much has changed for Flint residents. And so when you say nothing about this change, explain that. Well, personally, like, I do not drink the water unfiltered. Like, I have—I either go to the grocery store and purchase water in gallon bottles, or I run several type of filtrations to to drink the water for my daily needs. So, and you said, so even if—you don't even drink it using a filter? Several filters. <laughs> Several filters because, like, my house still has um, lead above the action level. So I got my water tested last year, and my water is above the action level. And so, uh, on that particular point, there, um, um, uh, and again, it, it seems as if political leaders are kind of like, okay, that thing is done and over, we can just move on. So, how are y'all still keeping uh, this issue alive and making sure that things are being done and residents are being taken care of? Well, as an organization, we've been focusing on a lot of the root causes of the water crisis. And so some people may not know that there were really like three crises happening at the same time. There was a lack of democracy because we were under state receivership. There was a water affordability crisis. And then there was also the water quality crisis. And so like as an organization, we've been working to pass 
in Michigan, like an improved lead and copper rule that lowered the action level. And we also recently were involved in the EPA's lead and copper rule improvements. And at the state level, like there is a water affordability package um, so people can uh, pay a water bill that will not cause them to enter into water shutoffs. Questions from my panel. Uh, Matt, you're first. So my question is about the state of the criminal prosecutions. I know there were some issues with the one-person grand jury issuing those indictments, but where are some of those criminal prosecutions, and what are your thoughts on how those may affect, um, you know, implementation of new water systems or, or new filtration systems in Flint if they're connected in your mind? Well, unfortunately, with the criminal prosecutions, those are gone. And with the one-person grand jury, like, personally, I was offended because there are several um, thousand black and brown people um, in the county jail right now, and that's how that was how they were indicted, was through a one-person grand jury. So the Michigan Supreme Court made it crystal clear, if you're a rich white man with money, that you need a—you have a different version of the criminal justice system uh, other than, like, black and brown people. Kelly. Sure. So on your website, flintrising.com, you have three main uh, demands from your uh, to your government um, regarding this issue, one being replace all the damaged lines, um, two, 100 percent water bill reimbursement, and three, uh, health and education services for all children. What, if anything, has been done towards um, fulfilling these three demands? Um, and are there other things beyond these three demands that um, you guys are focusing on? Well, I would say, like, the travesty is that our recovery was not initiated um, by the residents themselves. The folks who were directly impacted said that they needed health care for all, and we don't have that. They wanted all, like, full, full pipe replacement from the from the water plant all the way into our the taps, and we don't have that. And as far as like the the health and educational services, um, that leaves a, a lot to be desired. Um, unfortunately, both political parties have not given justice and reparations for Flint residents. So um, you have new leadership there uh, in Flint, um, and how do you how do you believe that this uh, new leadership is responding in terms of city leaders? Well, we're still like fighting to get like all residents for their lead service lines to be replaced. Um, during when we received ARPA dollars, there was a three hundred dollar credit that was given to residents, but we're still paying. Um, we're still paying for water. Like, we never um, received, like, beyond, like, those three months, like, any type of uh, longstanding water credits. Gotcha. Well, uh, hopefully uh, we will see action take place. And so uh, good luck uh, in uh, the work of Flint Rising, and uh, hopefully things will get better. Thank you very much. We're actually doing a march um, on April 25th and invite everyone to come to Flint to um, participate with us on that.
April 25th, would love to be there, but that's my dad's 77th birthday, so I will be uh, uh, in uh, with him on that day. But uh, good luck uh, with y'all march there. Uh, pull it back up. Y'all want to connect with Flint Rising, here's all the ways to do so uh, on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, and the website FlintRising.com. Thanks a bunch. Folks, we come back. Let's talk Louisiana maps. Also, we'll talk about Big Pharma. They got caught hell on Capitol Hill, and I got a couple of things to say about them when it comes to the funding of black-owned media. Wait till I share with some of the numbers that I have discovered. Mm-hmm. I keep trying to tell y'all what they're doing to us. You're watching Roller Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. Grow your business or career with Grow with Google's wide range of online courses, digital training, and tools. Gain in-demand job skills with flexible online training programs designed to put you on the fast track to jobs in high-growth fields. No experience is necessary. Learn at your own pace. Complete the online certificate program on your own terms. Stand out to employers, get on a path to in-demand jobs, and connect with top employers who are currently hiring. Take one professional career certificate program, or all six. Earn a Google Career Certificate to prepare for a job in a high-growth field like data analytics, project management, UX design, cybersecurity, and more. All professional career certificate programs must be completed by December 31, 2024. Scan the QR code to complete the application. There are 1,000 scholarships available. Grow with Google and J. Hood and Associates. Be job ready and qualify for in-demand jobs. Next on The Frequency, we have an incredible conversation with my guest, Nadira Simmons, talking about her new book, First Things First, Hip-Hop Ladies That Changed the Game. The founder of GumboNet tells us the stories behind the women in hip-hop, starting with the first woman that promoted the hip-hop party to Megan Thee Stallion. There's even a chapter on me. Thank you so yes. much for including me in there. It's just so oh, like, you, you had to be in there. That's next on The Frequency on the Black Star Network. Hey, what's up, y'all? I'm Devon Frank. I'm Dr. Robin B., pharmacist and fitness coach, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. Serviette Bonner has been missing from Omaha, Nebraska since January 17th. The 15-year-old is 5 feet 8 inches tall, weighs 150 pounds with black hair and brown eyes. Anyone with information about Servion Bonner is urged to call the Omaha, Nebraska Police Department at 402-444-5600, 402-444-5600. A federal judge is ordering Louisiana to redraw its state legislative maps Thursday. U.S. District Judge Shelley Dick ruled Louisiana's state maps violated Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act. Dick found the state's 2022 map unlawfully cracks and packs black voters to dilute the strength of their vote. These maps are separate from the, the redistricting uh, for congressional uh, borders, which the legislature redrew after a similar court cases in January. This here is a huge deal. Uh, um, um, uh, Matt, because what we're talking about again, and this is what people need to understand when we're talking about how they crack and pack. So what, 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 when, you, when you 
put a black people in all in these very limited districts. What they're trying to do is to make sure that black voters don't have an opportunity to literally impact another district. So you're guaranteeing Republican uh, victory. So if you are, and so there are a lot of people who have been calling for black folks not to be so concerned about, man, we want as many black districts as possible. My simple solution to the problem was remove people from the scene and help them feel safer. In response to attacks against Asian Americans, Maddie Park raised over $250,000 to donate cab rides to the Asian community. There is so much more work to be done. We really need to come together and tackle this issue as a community. Support the Asian community. Learn how at lovehasnolabels.com. Brought to you by Love Has No Labels and the Ad Council. But how can we have the black vote impact more districts that actually changes the makeup uh, of the legislature? Yeah, that's really important so that that vote is not diluted if you're in a different um, district. And I think what's especially important about this uh, ruling from uh, Judge Dick is that the Eighth Circuit, which is not where Louisiana is, but the Eighth Circuit actually just recently um, put down an opinion a couple days ago saying essentially that you may not have a private right of action to bring a cause of action if your voting rights are affected. And that's incredibly important because what the Eighth Circuit has said, which is obviously another federal court of appeals, what they've said is that you may not have that private right of action, which means that an agency like DOJ or some other um, governmental agency would have to then try to vindicate the loss of your voting rights. The reason that is so crucially important is because these two things, at least in my view, sit you know, counter to each other in a way that Judge Dick is saying, look, not only does your vote matter, but you can't be cardened off into a district where you know, it's so disproportionately black that it's, you're going to uh, be able to elect somebody there. But if you're in a different district, you won't have any meaningful effect on potentially having your um, elector, of the person you want to uh, represent you, be elected. So it's important because if you read the Eighth Circuit's decision in context with this, then if Louisiana or any other state does something to violate your voting rights, then you can't bring a lawsuit in your own capacity. You have to do it through an agency, and that's going to make that much more difficult because yep. instead of having a lot of lawsuits where a lot of people are filing them saying, hey, you took away my right to vote, it's now going to be cordoned down and distilled to you know just organizations. And I think that... No, actually, no, actually, 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 not even organizations. The Eighth, the eighth Circuit's uh, opinion uh, said only the government. So, only government. So what this would mean uh, that NAACP, LDF, whether you're Lawrence Committee for Civil Rights Under Law, any of these civil rights groups, NAACP, they could not file any lawsuits. That, so the Eighth Circuit is saying only the government can, and the reality is the DOJ has not filed a lot of these suits. Yeah, and I appreciate you getting me right. I, I, I'm sorry for speaking incorrectly, but the larger principle is that if you don't have a private right of action to vindicate this, then you have to hope that you have the right government in office. And it kind of goes to a larger point we always talk about. But if you're looking at the Trump DOJ, they're not going to do that. They're not bringing those lawsuits. Yep. Uh, Biden's DOJ might, but that, that creates a big issue. So I'm glad that, you know, after this bench trial, Judge Dick saw that this was, uh, you know, Louisiana continuing to do this cracking and packing, especially as the population continues to, to grow. Because as that population grows, people are cordoned off in a certain district that dilutes, dilutes your right to vote. So this is really important, particularly in the state of Louisiana, considering the demographics there. Um, what we're also looking at here, uh, Michael, is this. 
So Louisiana is under the Fifth Circuit, extremely, extremely conservatives. They control, I think, 22 or 23 out of the 25 uh, federal uh, judges. And so, uh, and, and, and look, they tried all they could, could to help Republicans, uh, but but what we're dealing with here again is uh, even this Supreme Court shockingly, uh, uh, you know, accepting uh, the impact of the Voting Rights Act. But conservatives still are trying to attack that. And so this is going to be a legal battle back and forth. Not sure with even with this ruling. Remember, a federal judge ruled in 2022 that Louisiana maps were unconstitutional. Uh, that was early 2022. They claimed there was not enough time uh, in the year, even though it was, uh, to change them in, in for November. So they froze, the Supreme Court froze them in place. And it wasn't until a couple of weeks ago that they actually changed it. And so even with this particular ruling here, they may not be able uh, to get new maps if because they, they're going to they're take this thing all the way to Supreme Court, guaranteed. Uh, so we may not right. see new maps in Louisiana until 2026. That's what I was wondering, because this is an election year and um, the secretary of state has to get the um, uh, the ballots out as well uh, to constituents. Certain names have to be on the, the names of the um, uh, candidates have to be on the ballot one, but also uh, mail in ballots, early ballots, things like that. They have to be mailed out. So that's why I was wondering it, um, is they're going to be enough time to get the uh, to redraw the uh, districts, redraw the legislative maps um, in time for the November 2024 uh, election. So, yes, I know Republicans are going to appeal this, take this to the 6-3 conservative Supreme Court. And, um, you know, with Louisiana having uh, about one third of the voting population African-American, you know, this is um, why our voting power is feared so much. They fear us being able to put people in office that will legislate and put laws in the place that are beneficial, especially the African-Americans. So the, the fight continues with this. Uh, Kelly. Now, I echo the sentiments of Michael and, and everyone else. I think that this is an issue that is bigger than just Louisiana. I'm sure there are several jurisdictions where they are basically packing black people into one district to dilute the vote. Um, whether this, uh, uh, whether the districts will be redrawn in time for this election, I, I sincerely doubt. But the fact that they are ordered to be redrawn is promising to me in that hopefully some type of reprieve will be made in this matter. Uh, well, uh, well, look, certainly, uh, certainly uh, hope so. All right, y'all. Yesterday, big damn Capitol Hill, big pharma testified for the United States Senate. And man, folks like Senator Bernie Sanders gave them a grilling over the high drug prices they charge in the U.S. compared to other countries. Carolyn from Florida says that she cannot afford Eliquis. And so she will, quote, stop taking it, though I need it to prevent the risk of having a stroke, end quote. Uh, Mr. Burnham, uh, again, yes and no, please. The list price of Eliquis is $7,100 a year in the United States. Dr. Melissa Barber, an expert at Yale University, has estimated that it costs just $18 to manufacture a year's supply of Eliquis. $7,100, what we pay $1,800 to manufacture. Is it true that the same exact drug, Eliquis, can be purchased in Canada for $900 a year. 
Senator, that's roughly correct. Uh, let me ask you this. Even at 13 percent of the cost in the United States, does Bristol-Myers make a profit selling Eliquis for $900 a year in Canada? Uh, Senator, we do make a profit. All right. So you're selling the product for 13 percent of what in Canada, of what we pay in the United States, and obviously you sell it there because you make money. So, Mr. Berner, will you commit today that Bristol-Myers-Squibb will reduce the list price of Eliquis in the United States to the price that you charge in Canada where you make a profit? Senator, we can't make that commitment. <laughs> the CEOs of Johnson & Johnson, Merck, and Bristol-Myers-Squibb requesting in the Senate Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions Committee by lawmakers looking for a way to drop uh, high health care costs for Americans. Senator Bernie Sanders again uh, challenged him on that, but it wasn't just Sanders. It was uh, others as well who were, who were challenging these CEOs. Uh, and we know, of course, that the Biden administration also did uh, their part uh, when it came to uh, cutting the price of insulin, uh, we now see it in uh, under Medicare, uh, it's now um, you know thirty-five dollars for those seniors, uh, and so what you're seeing is you're seeing uh, these folks being challenged because what people don't realize is this is the it's a game. I love that scene from the movie um, from the movie High Flying Bird where direct where Bill Duke says. Uh, they were talking about the NBA, but he says they invented a game on top of a game. And what these companies are doing is these insurance companies in America, they're paying these high prices. We're paying high premiums. And so what they're doing is they're sitting here charging these people, other countries, a hell of a lot less because they know full well they're going to pay all this money here in the United States. But you know what's interesting? We, I was talking about, so two of those CEOs there, of course, uh, with uh, these companies. And we, you know, we have our segment called Where's Our Money? And so we're going to segue into that because I'm about to break something down to y'all. It's going to trip y'all out uh, because a lot of these drugs are targeting us. So roll it. We've been frozen out. Facing an extinction level event. We don't fight this fight right now. You're not going to have black on you. Mm, so, folks, when we're talking about the money, we're talking about uh, how much they spend. Now, y'all have heard me talk about on this show uh, the lack of uh, money being spent uh, with black-owned media. Well, check this out. He, pull up the graphic of four of these uh, drug companies. These right here are four of the biggest drug companies with, who, when it comes to spending on marketing and advertising every year. Bristol, Myers, Squibb, AbbVie, AstraZeneca, and Merck. Okay? Now, I'm going to give y'all some numbers that are going to trip y'all out. AbbVie is a huge, huge spender. 2023, AbbVie dropped, y'all, $1.5 billion on advertising in this country. One point, guys, wrong grab, $1.5 billion, okay? $1.5 they spent. 
Black was 25 million. 25 million. Hispanic was 1.5 million. AstraZeneca, they spent 250 million on advertising. 1.7 million went to black media, black folk, black media. And then first of all, we don't know if that's black owned media or black targeted media. Just 1.7 million. $150,000 went to Latinos media. Bristol Squibb, Bristol Squibb Myers, $400 million. 2.5 million black media, 2.5 million Hispanic media. Merck, $200 million. Five million to black media, $250,000 to Hispanic. Now, here's the deal. Merck, y'all, had a black CEO, Ken Frazier. Go to my iPad. They wasn't spending money with black-owned media when he was a CEO for 10 years. 10 years not spending money with black-owned media. So then, let's look at Pfizer. Pfizer is spending around, look, almost $2 billion. They're spending money with different companies. Little of that is going to black-owned media. When you're watching all of these, especially network news shows, you're seeing all these pharmaceutical commercials. They're, they're sitting here driving it to black folks. To black folks. You got drug companies right now running, di I saw a company running diabetes commercials on Fox News featuring black folks, and I'm like, y'all ain't talking to black-owned media? This is what is actually happening. Billions of dollars are being spent on advertising and marketing, and very, very little goes to black-owned media. Even though we know black people, when you look at HIV, when you look at cancer, when you look at diabetes, we can talk about the number of issues. A lot of us are on these drugs. Hmm, so what they want, they want black folks. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Keep buying, keep buying, keep spending your money. Yeah, but we're not going to sit here and actually talk to anybody in black-owned media. So here you have the senators challenging them on the drug prices, and these companies are earning billions of dollars. And what is coming back to black-owned media? Crumbs. And they want us to think that a crumb is a meal. Now, I told y'all I was going to start calling people out. I need y'all to put the graphic up of those companies again. Show it again. And here are those, the top, here are four of the largest, and we don't have Pfizer on here, but I'm challenging Pfizer as well. Bristol, Myers, Squibb, AbbVie, AstraZeneca, and Merck. It is an abomination what they are spending in terms of advertising, and little of that goes to black-owned media. So I hope y'all now understand when I'm laying these things out, because a lot of y'all are trying to understand why black-owned media can't do Why we don't have more anchors and more reporters and we don't have more producers? Because you cannot afford to pay them if you're being frozen out of the economic pie. 05 to 1% of all advertising money spent in the country, that's $340 billion, is spent with black-owned media. 
Do you want to know why CNN and the New York Times and Fox News and MSNBC and the Washington Post and all of these companies, how these folks are able to have large newsrooms and employing all these reporters? Easy. Because they're getting the dollars. So we're going to keep naming companies. And we're going to keep naming ad agencies. And we're going to keep calling folks out if people are not doing business with black-owned media, we are going to publicly challenge them because we should be participating in this economy just like white media. And this goes beyond just black-owned media. This also speaks to black law firms, black accounting firms, black transportation companies, black catering companies, black PR companies, black event managers, black audiovisual companies, and on and on and on. We are unable to build and create wealth because we are being frozen out of all of these industries even when they have black CEOs and even when they have black CMOs, chief marketing officers, and even when they have some black board members. Now, there are some black board members out there who are advocating and doing right for us. There are some black CMOs who are doing that. But what is needed is for folks to understand that we are all in this thing together. Last point before I go to my panel, speaking of black CMOs, Walter Jeer, who works for one of the ad agencies, uh, he posted something on, on LinkedIn that I saw, and I said, right on, because I've been saying this for all time. So go ahead and pull this up. Uh, pull this up. I'm reading it to you. So Walter posted on his LinkedIn. He said that it's Friday, so I'm just going to be on brand and say what's on my mind. One thing that surprised me about Black Executive CMO Alliance Becca at Cannes last year was the amount of black CMOs out there carrying some major brands, major brands. I'm fortunate to work with three of those CMOs. All of the work is fire. So my question is, with all of the black CCOs and black-owned agencies all tapping into culture, and all of the black CMOs out there that want their brands to authentically be a part of culture, why aren't we working together? I get and understand that selling through culturally relevant work to an all-white leadership is difficult. Know that people like myself and others can be your advocates, your allies, and your partners in these rooms. We can do beautiful work together. I'm just putting it, all, putting it out there. Hit me up. Let's talk, and I won't hoard the work. I'll even make recommendations. I'm just saying we need to do better, and I'm not expecting you to respond here. Uh, so please feel free to message me privately. Now, now, here's why I think what Walter posted is great. He's right. We should be. The people who should be the biggest advocates for black-owned media are black CMOs. We in black-owned media should be elevating them, talking about the great things that they're doing. But it requires it to be done. It requires resources, resources to be flowing back and forth. We should be working with black CMOs and black-owned media and black creators and ad agencies, because on the ad agency side, y'all, 90% of the leadership is white. It's white. And do you know what happens? The ad agencies, do you know where they get a lot of their leaders from? CMOs. So many of the black CMOs could potentially become president and CEOs of black ad agencies. 
And so this thing ain't gonna change if the black creative folk in agencies are doing their own thing and the black CMOs are doing their own thing uh, and black-owned media in, in our space, we're doing our own thing. It requires us having a willingness to work together in order to change the economic paradigm. What cannot happen is if black people who are on boards, who are in senior leadership of companies, who are whether CEOs, COOs, or whether CMOs, whether you got black people in agencies, what cannot... My name is Ariel. I moved to the U.S. at 19. I spoke no English and I struggled finding job opportunities. Everything I have, I owe to the Adult Literacy Center and getting my high school diploma at age 22. It was an honor helping you achieve your greatness. Now you're helping others achieve theirs. It inspires me. When you graduate, they graduate. Find free and supportive adult education centers near you at finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. What happens if we have a mentality of, I'm going to only get mine and damn everybody else. So I got my stock options. I got my check. I'm good. But first of all, the average CMO only lasts three years. So it ain't going to be there that long anyway. But what changes do you make when you're there? If you're a Ken Frazier at Merck, real question, did you change the economic paradigm in working with black companies while you were the CEO for 10 years? This cannot be solely about how we make ourselves rich. I want all folks in black-owned media to eat. I'm not trying to keep all the money to myself. I want all of us to eat. Dr. King said, we individually are poor, but we collectively are wealthy. Nothing changes when we operate as individuals and until we move as a collective. Stokely Carmichael said, show me any black person who's made any change in this country, I will show you they did it through working with an organization. If we want to change, if we want to build wealth and create wealth in this country, it is going to take black CEOs, black CMOs, black creatives, to be able to say, how can we be a difference to build up and build capacity for black-owned media? And that requires meeting with us, sending those RFPs, sending those IOs, actually making it happen. And then, those of us on our side, making sure we're telling those stories, amplifying them. That's how we begin to change the game. Go to my panel here real quick. Um, you know, Michael, when we talk about, again, it, it, it's a money game. It's a money yes. game. And the reality is we cannot be black and operate in silos when it's a money game. I just believe that if you are a black corporate executive, there should be a change when you leave as opposed to things being the same. Yeah, it should be change, uh, change for the positive. Uh, unfortunately, Roland, so many of our people don't understand this money game, don't understand business on this level. But you, we have to um, really understand how to push, whether it's a, a black CEO or not, but especially if there is. Uh, we spend billions of dollars a year, a, a year with these various corporations, okay? Um, it's about $1.7 trillion now, our GDP uh, for African-Americans. And then they take the overwhelming majority of those dollars that we spend with them and by uh, media, by ads in white-owned media, uh, and also use uh, contractors, white-owned 
contractors. So we have to push on multiple levels. Um, uh, black contractors when it comes to transportation, when it comes to advertising, uh, janitorial services, things of this nature. Because th another myth that's out here is that you have a lot of these fake economic empowerment gurus who are selling entrepreneurship classes and just make it think, make our people think, oh, you just have to open up a business and just money's just going to flow into you. No, you need clients, you need contracts. Yep. Okay. Th then at the same time, you ha you you have this attack on diversity, equity, and inclusion, which was a backlash to some advances advancements that were being made during the George Floyd protests yep. and getting commitments from corporate. Corporations, you have that backlash coming uh, at the same time. So we have to understand how to push it. This is something Dr. Claude Anderson has been talking about for years, getting a return on our investment from corporations. Um, and, and not only that, uh, Matt, I'll say this here. Uh, the Executive Leadership Council, I need y'all doing more. Go to my iPad. I need EOC more. EOC is the collection of black corporate executives. And I've been to their dinner, and it's 3,000, 4,000 people there, and folks are suited and booted. But here's the deal. Many of these black folks, they out of their jobs when they hit 55 years of age. And so this is where organizations, this is where organizations have got to step up and be far more aggressive at addressing this. And I'm going to say this as well. The NAACP, the National Urban League, National Action Network, Rainbow Push, Fraternities and Sororities, Lynx, uh, Prince Hall Masons, Eastern Star, all of these black groups have got to understand if we are using black churches as well, if we're utilizing our organizational power, we can make these folks move, but they're not going to move if we're silent and disorganized. I don't disagree with anything you've said in this segment in terms of how there needs to be greater investment with black organizations. But I wouldn't be myself if I didn't say we are focusing on the wrong money part of this. This is a this is a human rights issue. This is one of the ways I think the United States is at its sickest. The fact that in this country getting sick can be a, a quick road to bankruptcy. And the fact that we've got, you know, pharmaceutical heads who will sit in front of Congress and say, yeah, I can't commit that we're going to lower the price of our drugs, but we're selling it elsewhere for a fraction of the price is a travesty. I think we as a country have to have a real conversation if we're going to talk about money, about just as a universal moray, not commodifying healthcare. The fact that we have commodified healthcare and we're sitting here talking about how it costs an extraordinarily high amount every year for people to get necessary medications is crazy. It's crazy. It's the sickest thing to me. And as a father, as a parent, as a part of a family, it is the thing that concerns me and my family most. And while, with all due respect, I do care about the investment with black companies, I care more about the fact that your average American cannot afford to get sick with a serious uh, health care issue well, and keep their finances the way they need to well, be. And but, that's but the bigger conversation. Actually, here. actually it's not the, it's the reason it's not the bigger conversation, because mainstream media has that conversation, but doesn't have the economic conversation. For me, I'm going to have both of the conversations. So the, the reason I put these two together, because they do go hand in hand. Because on one hand, one of the reasons that we are the sickest is we have lack of resources. One of the reasons that we are the sickest is that we are not participating economically. If you show me African Americans who have higher wealth, I'm going to show you better health outcomes. And so they go together when we talk about how we're being frozen out of the economic pie. Kelly. Well, if I may. Go ahead. Roland, I think that's a little bit of a, fra a flawed premise, though. No, it's not. I'm saying the 
I think it is. The fundamental system is problematic. The whole system of how healthcare works in this country yes. is flawed. And the fact that you have to be in a higher echelon of earning to do better with the healthcare outcome nope. should infuriate all of us. No, no, no. But see, here's the deal, though. Here's the deal, though. You're, you're only, but, but the problem is, but you're only looking at this only from healthcare. I'm not speaking of healthcare companies. I'm speaking of healthcare. I'm speaking of automotive. I'm speaking of every single business. What I outlined from the pharmaceutical companies applies to every single category. I'm only focused on them. And again, the problem is we, we this is, this, again, this is one of black people's problems. We talk about all the other things and not the money. I'm saying I'm talking about both. I'm going to talk about the prices and I'm going to talk about we don't have access to the money. We, we often talk about the criminal justice system. We're not talking about the money. If you do a survey and ask most African Americans, talk about your top five issues, money is not going to be number one. But I'm showing a perfect example of how we are frozen out of a system. And so my deal is, I say you could change both, but the deal is I'm not going to talk about one and ignore the other. I'm going to talk about both. I need both to happen. And I'm saying... We have got to be willing as black people to have an honest conversation about the money because they actually don't mind us talking about, hey, let's, hoard, let, let's, let's lower health, health uh, drug costs and never bring up the money over here while they over here getting paid. Kelly. I understand your point, Roland, but I am leaning towards what Matt is saying. Um, it's and not an either or. It's, bo it's both and. I'm not. I, I need to finish. I'm not saying it's an either or. It is a both and. But for purposes of this conversation, being pharmaceutical companies and that clip specifically, my main takeaway from that clip was that they're not willing to match prices with Canada because of strict greed. Now, to your yes. point, <laughs> yes, yeah. But the, the greed for me as somebody who does deal with medical issues, as someone who just had a medical emergency not even three weeks ago, for for that, my, my main takeaway was the fact that they have the power and yet they use it um, not to the benefit of, of the American people. But to your point, you are absolutely correct. Pharmaceutical companies isn't pharmaceuticals as a whole, as an industry, also need to be lumped in with the other industries that you have mentioned regarding black media and, and dollars flowing into black media. And greed so is there too. And that's also greed. I, I agree with you. I'm just saying that for purposes of this conversation, that one clip, had me leaning more towards Matt point, Matt's point right. for this specific conversation. But it's, but, it's not, but, I'm, but it's not a specific conversation. I'm having a dual conversation. And what I'm trying to show is, here you had a Senate hearing. I'm also showing in terms of what they're spending. I'm saying I can have two conversations at one time and not one. And so this is a perfect example. They're making billions from folk, and then they are shorting black people. So I'm juxtaposing billions being earned. Here's a perfect example of us still getting short shrift even while they're making billions of dollars. And unfortunately, we see this in broad categories. And so what we're going to keep doing is showing people the actual numbers. And so, and, I all, and I'm purposely showing their logos because I want our people to be tweeting them on this very issue. 
Because again, we talk around these things versus directly to them. So every person here should be challenging Bristol Myers Squibb and Abby and AstraZeneca and Merck and Pfizer. And I can guarantee you, they're all going to be hearing from my people because we're not going to let this go. Up next, the NFL continues to have problems when it comes to their payouts of folks who are suffering significant uh, injuries. We'll talk to a couple of folks next, including a former player. This is something that's devastating lots of former players as they get ready for the biggest game of the year, the Super Bowl on Sunday. You're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. Grow your business or career with Grow with Google's wide range of online courses. My name is Ariel. I moved to the U.S. at 19. I spoke no English and I struggled finding job opportunities. Everything I have, I owe to the Adult Literacy Center and getting my high school diploma at age 22. It was an honor helping you achieve your greatness. Now you're helping others achieve theirs. It inspires me. When you graduate, they graduate. Find free and supportive adult education centers near you at finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. Digital training and tools. Gain in-demand job skills with flexible online training programs designed to put you on the fast track to jobs in high growth fields. No experience is necessary. Learn at your own pace. Complete the online certificate program on your own terms. Stand out to employers, get on a path to in-demand jobs, and connect with top employers who are currently hiring. Take one professional career certificate program, or all six. Earn a Google career certificate to prepare for a job in a high-growth field like data analytics, project management, UX design, cybersecurity, and more. All professional career certificate programs must be completed by December 31, 2024. Scan the QR code to complete the application. There are 1,000 scholarships available. Grow with Google and J. Hood and Associates. Be job ready and qualify for in-demand jobs. It's John Murray, the executive producer of the new Sherry Shepard Talk Show. This is your boy, Herb Quay. And you're tuned in to Roland Martin Unfiltered. We tuned in on Sunday for the Super Bowl. Kansas City Chiefs, San Francisco 49ers. And we'll be watching. Folks will be cheering and they'll be talking about everything and looking at those players. But how many people are thinking about what their lives will be once the cheering stops? We've talked about the NFL's promise to compensate former players who develop dementia and other brain diseases tied to concussions. And the NFL has awarded $1.2 billion to more than 1,600 athletes. But the Washington Post found the league saved hundreds of millions of dollars by rejecting payouts. Joining me now from San Diego is Roxanne Gordon. Her husband, uh, uh, Amon C. Gordon, played eight seasons in the NFL. He retired from the Kansas City Chiefs in 2012. He was diagnosed with traumatic brain injury in 2012 and has been fighting to get uh, his NFL concussion settlement. Ricky Ray, a former NFL player, joins us from Alexandria, Virginia. I'm glad to have both of you here. Um, first and foremost, um, walk us through, Roxanne, how difficult this battle has been with the NFL. Sure, good evening, Roland. Um, we've been fighting since 2017. When we first entered into the class action settlement, we were told it's as simple as um, the player, retired player, getting diagnosed from a board-certified neurologist that they have traumatic brain injury and they will be paid. It was 
far from the truth. Um, here we are almost seven years later, and we're still fighting. My husband, Amon, has um, brain bleeds. He has tangles in his brain. He has been diagnosed by like four different neurologists with um, concussion damage, and I still have not received any positive news on the settlement. We are still fighting. For a matter of fact, our last appeal was submitted today. So we are waiting for the courts to again see if they approve us or side with the NFL again. The NFL has fought tooth and nail not to pay him, and their reasoning is because his his IQ is too high. He's too smart. Um, his scores are too high. So wait, 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 wait. His the, the, wait, I'm sorry. They're saying that because his IQ is high, that oh, that the stuff he's experiencing actually doesn't exist. <laughs> So what they're saying is, if he hit a low IQ, guess what? He ha he got no problems. Like the race norming, basically. He went to Stanford, graduated from Stanford University. He has a superior IQ. So when they test him, they're comparing him against people with a normal IQ. So they're saying he's not impaired. He doesn't have brain injury because he's not scoring low enough. So in their eyes, he would have to be a vegetable to be able to be paid. Wow. Ricky, um, when you hear that, uh, and you have other players, what stories are you hearing from, uh, as well? Well, I hear exactly what Roxanne is talking about. And, you know, Roland, one of the things, first and foremost, thank you guys for having us on your show tonight. And, you know, Roland, it brings about two things, frustration and it brings out about concerns. What And, you know, what, what Roxanne is talking about is, is the frustration. We've been at this thing for almost seven years, and, you know, the overall process, selecting, going through the attorneys, the doctor's appointments, you got the results determination process. All of this is that, you know, comes down to an unequal distribution of compensation. So the NFL is boasting, as you just mentioned about the articles that recently came out, and then they sent out their uh, specific uh, talking points saying that, you know, they have spent $1.2 What we were talking about tonight, though, is the other billion that needs to be spent on the guys that's not getting this particular compensation. This thing is way too long. Uh, no way, shape, and form. I myself, as a claimant, have been in this process for the past seven years, and just now we're reaching a deadline of March the fourth to be able to go back for the race norming, which again is a whole different conversation that happened during this settlement. However, rolling my point with that is that even with the race norming and all of the other things that's put in place for doctor's appointments and trying to get some results, it shouldn't be seven years before you can go through at least the evaluation process, not even talking about the determination process if something is even wrong with you or not. That's just the frustration part about it. The concerns is that, you know, again, the league is boasting about how much money they're putting out, but really, again, it's not much money they need to put out to make sure that we are all being taken care of, our families, and to look at the real issues of what's going on is with the concussion. We got into this with concussions that ended up causing dementia. It can cause Alzheimer's and the things like that. And the NFL within themselves, they saying that they wish they hadn't even settled this particular settlement. They would have to take it to court because they don't believe that these repetitive headsets and these concussions has anything to do with the long-term effect of our health rolling. And Roxanne, uh, look, uh, I love it how these teams demand loyalties from players, 
But when it's time to cut contracts, tell them to take less money, uh, they got no problem doing so. The reality is the NFL does not have guaranteed contracts, unlike baseball, unlike basketball. Uh, they have the shortest careers, the most injuries, and the most, uh, uh, most uh, health care needs after the playing days are over. So it's the and the NFL is by far the richest sports league. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we're talking these guys have, you know, head injuries as well as orthopedic issues as well. And there's no lifetime medical. A lot of these guys don't even have medical insurance role and they can't even go to a doctor. And the NFL is hoping they just kind of die and go away, deny, deny, deny till you die. And a lot of them have passed, unfortunately. But there are still a lot out there living that need help. And the NFL needs to live up to their obligation and take care of these men that they built this billion-dollar industry off their backs, period. Questions for the panel. Matt, you're first. I have a question, and, and I'm sorry if I misunderstood something, but isn't it correct that the, the NFL was using a different metric whereby they were judging the, I guess, starting IQs of former black players with neurological issues as compared to white players? And that was part of the lawsuit, if I remember correctly. So how does that factor into their uh, reticence to pay on these claims now? I mean, is that still a part of the litigation? Um, yes, uh, you're correct. And what, that, that's called a race moment. That came into effect after the settlement. And there were two players that realized that there was something wrong with the evaluation process. So they sued. This came out to be a race moment where they thought that us as black players, we were at a lower deficiency than white players. At first, they admitted that, no, that's not happening. Delete, delete counsel, that's not happening. Then they found out it was happening. For them to go back and then to rectify that problem, they said that any persons that had gone through the evaluation process with that particular norming scheme would be able to do it again. So there, that, that's where we are now, being able to go back and redo the testing. But there is a deadline for that testing that was March the 4th. So if you're not registered between now to March 4th of this year, you're not going to be able to even get that BAP testing unless you have to pay for it yourself and so forth and so on. So it's always a hurdle. And, you know, the more hurdles that we have, the more complicated it is and, you know, the attrition for these players. And, and we're looking at players that has already played the game uh, for some time ago. So it's elderly players that former players. It's not that many when you look at the big scheme of players involved with this particular settlement. But it's always a hurdle put up in front of us so that we can't go through the process in a normal way. It's, it's, it, and again, I'm not knocking it. And it's great that the 1.2 has already been paid. But there is another 1.2 that needs to be paid as well. And, you know, do that before the attrition takes care of then these players are no longer here. Kelly. Can I ask a follow-up? Yep, go ahead. <clears throat> oh, so just really quickly, the, the follow-up question, though, is in terms of the actual litigation, has the judge at any point or the special master or whomever's administrating the claims, have they, you know, issued any edict that says, look, we know you're race norming, therefore that throws into question all of the data and all of the metrics, and therefore we're going to either order computation of the claims at a certain level? I mean, how is that race norming fixed in? Because to me, it seems like that invalidates um, anything that the NFL is saying about how they're determining who should be paid and, and who's not. It does. Roxanne, you can chime in, but it does. And, you know, as I mentioned before, 
they're rectifying this problem is letting us go back through the neurologists and, and all of the neuros to make sure that we're being reevaluated. But that process is a little skewed as well because there is, I'm pretty much sure that there is no transition conversation between the doctors that did that at first and the current doctors that we're having. The biggest problem with this thing with the doctors, there's a not enough doctors. So, you know, we have to travel at least 150 mile radius or go to a specific doctor that is diagnosed through our uh, 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 attorneys, but there's not enough doctors for this process. Hence, that the, this whole concussion settlement started seven years ago, and we're just now going through, or, or some guys are just now coming to the point of going through the evaluations. That's way too long. I mean, if you set a doctor's appointment in 2014, and here we are in 20. I mean, 2017, and where we are in 2024, and we haven't been to the doctors yet, that's, that's a problem within itself. That has not been addressed. You know, the claims that we're looking at that has gotten better, but that really has not gotten better. And that's a major concern that we are having. Kelly? Sure. So, on average, if there is an average, how, like, how many um, complainants are, are in this suit and on average, if you have an idea of how much money um, would or should be allocated to each uh, member of this suit, and secondly, for the for those players who have since died, is there any recourse for the families to take advantage of um, in in this case? Ricky can jump in on the averages, but players who passed away if their brains were sent in after they passed away and they were diagnosed. My simple solution to the problem was remove people from the scene and help them feel safer. In response to attacks against Asian Americans, Maddie Park raised over $250,000 to donate cab rides to the Asian community. There is so much more work to be done. We really need to come together and tackle this issue as a community. Support the Asian community. Learn how at lovehasnolabels.com. Brought to you by Love Has No Labels and the Ad Council. CTE, there's no compensation for them whatsoever. The only time I've seen people compensated after that is when a lot of press is surrounding the situation and then the NFL caves and compensates them. But no, to answer your question, no. If they pass away and it's, it's found that they had CTE, that's, they, the NFL won't pay for that. Mike, and the, yeah. And, and the NFL is saying that CTE is not the problem, but it really is a problem. You know, this settlement got started for us because of concussions and the repetitive hits that we have and the concussions in general. The NFL knew that concussions was causing these problems and sort of put that under the rug like they do everything else concerning uh, players. The problem with that is, is that when the players found this out, the NFL said, okay, and they called us allegedly doing this, right? Not that it's really happening. They pay their commissioner $200 million a year to say that this is not a problem for, for folks and whatever. Two weeks ago, you guys were watching a, a game during the playoffs, and you guys remember that there was a player coming in to make a tackle, and the other player's helmet actually broke. Now, here we are getting ready to go into the, one of the biggest games of the year, and I'm probably the only one that's talking about this particular situation. So either it was too cold for that equipment or the helmet wasn't really, really, really qualified. And here we are 
And for a fact, this player didn't even leave the field. They brought a new helmet onto the field and put the helmet on, and the guy kept playing. Yeah, that but, was uh, that was Patrick Mahomes, and the company and the company actually said the helmet the helmet worked like it was supposed to work. I thought that was sort of interesting. Well, and I've been playing. I, I played this game since I was nine years old. No helmet ever, ever, ever broke like right. that in my time frame. So you know, this is my point. The NFL to answer her question, you know, is the NFL playing fair? They're not playing fair. You know, they want us to go through these obstacles and these hoops, and they got all of these barriers set up for us through this process. And there is not a lump sum of money that each one of us is supposed to get. Everybody's different. I mean, Amon's case is different from mine, and anybody else's cases is different. We all come from different scenarios where someone may be functioning and somebody may not be functioning. So it's up to the evaluation of these doctors to make sure that they are, uh, are diagnosing what's going on with these individuals. So the NFL knows this. Yep. And, you know, and they put up these obstacles so we can't even go through the process. Uh, Michael. Uh, uh, very quickly, for the Super Bowl, we know that the 30-second commercial is going for about $7 million. Um, what role do you think that corporations that profit off of the NFL, that will profit off of commercials, what role do you think uh, corporations uh, play in getting just compensation for uh, former NFL players uh, who have brain damage, CTE, et cetera? And also, what role do you think fans play who, who buy tickets, who buy jerseys, who fuel this as well? Well, I, I don't think either one is playing a role. I don't think the corporations who spend those millions of dollars are paying attention to what happens to the players when they're not on the field anymore. The fans are not really familiar with this because this only is a is a part-time uh, subject. You know, we need to have this out front all the time so everybody can come familiar with it. More players, former players and current players need to be talking about this, as well as the actual fans should be talking about it. The more people we have talking about it, the more actions that we're going to get. But, you know, we have these segments right now for the Super Bowl and we're talking about it. Then it gets swept under the rug for another years. And then all of a sudden, you know, as I mentioned before, the attrition rate plays in and then there's nothing else to talk about. It's not that many guys that's in this settlement. You know, these owners can go out and, and buy their toys for $200 million. They pay $20 million for maintenance on these yachts that they have. They pay the commissioner $200 million a year, but they have a problem paying for folks that's already been out there giving their efforts and making sure that their products are making the money that they have to have those particular luxury items. But when it comes to the health of the players, it's just put them to the side. And if, if I can add to it. Yep, go ahead, final, go, final comment, go ahead. One thing that the NFL does really well is separate people. Like you were speaking earlier, Roland, I have mine, you get yours. Yep. Everybody watches football. A lot of the fans think that everybody's making millions of dollars. That's not yep. true. Yep. Minimum wage in the NFL is under a million dollars. And most guys are making that. There's a handful of guys making the two and 300 million. Well, well, they also don't realize that uh, the NFL network, the NFL has guaranteed TV contracts, and so mm -hmm. at the, and they get all their money at the beginning of the season, and so that's how they're able to stop players from striking because the owners can get through a whole season because they got their money up front. So, uh, and again, players don't have guaranteed contracts. Other thing that people need to understand when they see these, quote, eye-popping contracts, they don't realize if you sign a five-year, $80 million contract, 
the last three years are irrelevant. You got to pay, pay attention to the first two years. Is it any guaranteed money in that? Uh, because they, 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 they backload a lot of these contracts and they're able to get out of them uh, in year three or they'll tell a player, take a several million dollar pay cut. See, a lot of people forget when Colin Kaepernick, they asked him when the Broncos said, oh, we'll trade for you, but you got to take a pay cut. He opted not to, and he took all of his money in San Francisco. So they don't understand how that game is being played. The NFL absolutely is about keeping these billionaires being billionaires, and they do not want to pay not only players playing today, but they sure as hell don't want to play former players. That's true. Roxanne, Ricky, we appreciate it. Keep up your fight. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank you. Folks, uh, that is it for us. Uh, Michael, you got a uh, class coming up real quick. Yeah, Saturday, February 10th, 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, a new 10-week online history course. Ancient Kemet, one of the original names for Egypt, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade with the, what they didn't teach you in school. Visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Register right now. You've never seen anything like this. It's going to totally blow you away. AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Folks, that's it for us. Uh, Michael, Kelly, Matt, we appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Y'all have a fabulous weekend. Um, if you are watching the game, great. If you're not watching the game, cool. Enjoy it. Uh, folks, Monday, I'll see y'all. I'll be broadcasting live from Columbus, Ohio. So looking forward to being there. So y'all have a great one. Don't forget, support us in what we do, folks. Join our Bring the Funk fan club. The goal is to get 20,000 of our fans contributing on average 50 bucks each. That's a year. That's $4.19 a month, 13 cents a day. Uh, you can do so by sending your check and money order to P.O. Box 57196, Washington, D.C., 20037-0196. Cash App, dollar sign RM Unfiltered. PayPal, R. Martin Unfiltered. Venmo is RM Unfiltered. Zelle, rolling at rollinsmartin.com, rolling at rollinmartinunfiltered.com. Be sure to download the Black Star Network app, Apple phone, Android phone, Apple TV, Android TV, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, Xbox One, Samsung Smart TV. Also, watch the Black Star Network on four of our fast channels. You can see Amazon uh, News by going to Amazon Fire. Tell Alexa play news from the Black Star Network. Watch us on Plex TV, Amazon Freebie, Amazon Prime Video. And, of course, you can get my book, White Fear, How the Browning of America is Making White Folks Lose Their Minds, available at bookstores nationwide. Folks, uh, I'll see y'all on Monday. And shout out... <coughs> Dillard University, I wore Lane College yesterday, Tennessee State yesterday, Lane College on Wednesday. Shout out Dillard University in New Orleans. It's Mardi Gras weekend. Let the good times roll. Halt!
When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Check the back seat. Check the back seat. All right, come here. Check the back seat. Gets in your head, right? Good. Because every year, dozens of children are forgotten in the backseat of a car by a parent or caregiver. All never thought it could happen to them. But with changes in routines, distractions, or a sleeping child, it can happen to anyone. Parked cars get hot fast and can be deadly. So get it in your head. Check the backseat. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council.